Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. Her name is Dana, and she runs Rotting Jewels. I'll put a link to her YouTube channel. She's done a lot of excellent uh, original research, as, as far as I could, certainly on the process, because we talked about that back in October, and people are still listening to, to that episode. I get like 10 downloads a day, even now, three months later. And it was amazing, because I didn't really follow the process up to the present. She did, and has some great slides and shows what these guys were up to and a lot more uh, events maybe than the public knows. So I'd highly recommend people go to her YouTube channel and check it out. But while I was kind of looking over some of her stuff, she's on social media. I noticed this thing, the false memory syndrome syndrome foundation, the F M S F and really was always curious about it because it was something before my time. I wasn't really aware of it, but I think it's an important kind of snapshot because it has so many of these creepy doctors who keep popping up all the, all over the place, the West. And uh, we were talking in the pre-show, I think his name was Richard Offshee, who I remember from the West Memphis Three, he was a expert for the defense saying that he was basically arguing in court uh, that Miss Kelly's confession was coerced. But uh, of course, like later on after the convictions of the West Memphis Three, Miss Kelly confessed again and again and again. So kind of puts off she's in court statements in a much different light, I would say. But uh, we're going to talk more. And I highly recommend people check out Dana's work on the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. She's done a lot of shows and connect, made connections to people that I didn't know were connected to it. But I'm glad to have her. So Dana, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Cool. So for people who didn't listen maybe to our earlier show on the process in October, maybe you can talk a little bit about yourself and what got you into just being kind of a researcher and some of the stuff you've learned and what led you to the false memory syndrome foundation subject. Sure. Um, so I do primarily right now a lot of research, obviously, on the Process Church of the Final Judgment. It's ties to Scientology. I try not to operate in conspiracy, and I try to show people everything because the information's out there, but obviously it's obfuscated for, uh, in my opinion, nefarious reasons. Um, and to be completely honest, the David McGowan, Program to Kill. Uh, this was actually, he was the reason why I decided to get into this because I did an Instagram series on the pedophocracy and a victim reached out to me in regards to the Wonderland Club. That's one of the cases that Dave McGowan cites. And they said, Where, who wrote that book? I've never heard of this book and no one's ever talked about my case before. And she sent me some videos that she had been involved. She's in current day activism, uh, speaking out about you know, certain crimes that are committed against children and the government's facilitation of that. Uh, and so that was a really, uh, I guess I could say, affirming, affirming moment for me and showed that McGowan's work has aged well. And uh, through my research, I believe that he is becoming more and more right every single day, uh, despite what the naysayers say. But he was the person that introduced me to the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. And then I decided to go into the history of it itself and then also take a look at all of the players, at least the prominent players, the CIA doctors, because that's a massive red flag.
I have to unmute. Sorry about that. Yeah, so there's massive red flags. There's CIA doctors. But it all kind of came. It's an independent NGO, right? So it's not affiliated with the government. And I think you said in one of your talks it was financed by kind of uh, wealthy people. Were you able to ascertain any names or trace to any other foundations who finance the FMSF? So it's fascinating because what you're looking at is what I call their uh, quote unquote official website and official archive. But in the Wayback Machine, there's a really, really old archive and it has all the original circulars. So those are some of the ones that I share on Twitter. So the birth of the False Memory Syndrome Foundation and really the terminology itself becoming so entrenched in the public vernacular, that's really important here. So Pamela and Peter Freyd, Peter the father, uh, their daughter Jennifer, when she got a bit older, uh, made some accusations that she to this day has not recanted that her father uh, abused her for quite some time when she was young. Uh, and what I like to say, because it is what it is at the end of the day, we just have to look at these things without emotion. Uh, Miss Pamela could not let the world know what her dear husband did. Um, and so what she did is she turned around and she started the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. It's very interesting. The first flyer that is sent out and the old archive doesn't have scans. It's all translated into text. But I have seen a photo of the original circular that went out that she sent. And it provides some qualifications for people who are interested about this new, I guess you could say, NGO, nonprofit, charity. And it says, how do we know that we're not in the business of defending pedophiles? And they provide two reasons. Reason one we look like nice people, we have graying hairlines, and you would want to be friends with us. The second reason, a lie detector test that we know in our hearts that we should not have to take, but we would be willing to. Uh, so this is the basis for the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. Now, this opens in March of 1992, I believe, I think middle of March, roughly, uh, maybe end of February. But what we see and it's fascinating because in the old archive, you can see because they present the numbers um, as how how the membership and inquiries and amount of phone calls increase because they start it bi-monthly and then it goes to monthly. But within a month and uh, about a month, we have two CIA doctors on the board. We have um, Dr. Martin Orn, Dr. Margaret Singer, and most people know uh, Dr. Elizabeth Loftus. I don't say definitively that she's uh, intelligence connected, even though I have a very strong suspicion. Uh, I just haven't proven it yet, so I don't like to make that claim. Um, and they blow up immediately donations are coming in left and right and within a year and a half of opening we have uh, Jolly West obviously who is one of the uh, bigger MK Ultra doctors that people know of who is on the scientific advisory board. There is an argument that he was on the board sooner because when they announce the scientific advisory board the month after opening, they do state that it is not an official list because some of the doctors don't know how they want their names to be listed. So some of these people could have been there from the get-go. Interesting. So they have this. This is the new website, if you're watching on Rockfin or X. 
But they had a lot of uh, PhDs and things get involved in this whole thing, this whole so-called syndrome. But are these false memories really fake? Like, that's the real question. Like, and this happened right after McMartin. So the McMartin trials, I think, were from 87 to 90. That was all based upon the kids were telling, you know, fake stories or whatever. There were fake things. But what was your what's your take on whether the some of these false memories are actually false? I think that here's my problem with their argument because, you know, so Elizabeth Loftus, she's still out here preaching the great truths of the false memory syndrome foundation. I call her the girl boss of false memories. Um, And early in her career, what I've noticed, and I'm still working on laying it all out, but you know, she has this really prestigious resume, uh, Stanford, UC Berkeley, UCLA. Uh, she almost reminds me of like a Rhodes Scholar, just without the title of a Rhodes Scholar necessarily. And what she's doing is she's working on her psychology degree to be a doctor, but then she immediately moves into this consultation role. And she is always working for the defense. And As she's releasing information about these studies that she's involved in regarding memory, it's always to discredit. It's always making the argument that, you know, I mean, she made her name with the Ted Bundy trial in Utah, discrediting those victims. Uh, That was very early in her career. So I don't know that I necessarily buy into false memories per se. Obviously, I know that people can be hypnotized. Hey, we have a bunch of CIA doctors right here. They know all about that. Um, As far as repressed memories, those are absolutely real. And that science is there. But my problem here is that it's a bunch of, uh, I would say, CIA and obviously CIA-connected doctors who would know how to implant false memories through their research over the many decades, uh, torture and abuse of uh, just the general public, because God only knows the things that they've done that we still haven't found out about, coming out and accusing this mass hysteria where there's therapists all over the country, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, seemingly unrelated, And they're all implanting the exact same memories because you can read interviews with some of these therapists during this time. So like uh, FBI agent Kenneth Lanning, he was an expert on the occult. Uh, So he says, I say he's the best thing that ever happened to Satan as far as like our federal government. The guy's a nightmare. But, you know, it's when you read his report these some of these therapists that don't buy into the false memory notion they say you guys need to make a scientific and quite frankly logical argument that there are children that don't know each other all over the country and they're telling things that there's no way that they would know they're little kids there's just no way that they would know some of these things right yeah the frank fuster case what is what's the book? The uh, myth of the witch hunt narrative, or whatever. So it's mm-hmm. like it ties into the false memory foundation or the false memory syndrome allegations. Is that these are all false memory and all should be discounted, right? Yes. 
all of so, it. They say that all of it's not real. They say that, uh, you know, and obviously I think it is a bit of a controversial topic and it's fair. I think it is a topic, though, that people shouldn't, you know, shy away from having the conversation in regards to ritual abuse and satanic ritual abuse because... I know that this can get very conspiratorial very fast. I try to remind people that the satanic part, yes, some people believe in it, but for the most part, it's a sure story. And as Dave McGowan states in Program to Kill, if you wanted to traumatize and also discredit kids, what's a better way than satanic ritual abuse? And then creating a foundation armed to the teeth with lawyers cia doctors to completely discredit them and gaslight them for decades right forever right and intimidate them right like you're never mm -hmm. going to be believed you're not going to come forward nobody's going to believe this and we you okay. can take out the satanic ritual abuse or the sexual abuse but we know some of these children there's just horror shows of abuse you can see them all on on tv so it may be outside or may not involve that but some kids under the age of eight or whatever, beat up, starved to death. I mean, the stories go all the way back, and there's so many cases of that. So it's not outside the realm of possibility. I've done shows on satanic ritual abuse. It clearly happens to some. I don't think it's as common, maybe, as some of these people allege, but it clearly happens. There's no question about it. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, so the fact that there's this huge organization, what do you think the incentive is of these doctors to get involved? Do you think there's a financial incentive? Do I mean, do they I mean you kind of uh, it's interesting to hear you talk about trust the science outside of the context of covid, but almost like that that same axiom is used in the false memory syndrome foundation environment as well. Right. Yes, absolutely. It is. Uh, you know, I, I like to say, because when you really sit back and look at uh, Dr. Loftus's arguments for false memory, she created her own science and then she turns around and cites it uh, and says that that's valid. Uh, here's the thing. False memory syndrome is not a real syndrome. It's It never was never will be, not real, didn't happen. Uh, now, repressed memories, those are real. These have been proven with MRI scans. Uh, this has uh, worked in court in Australia in particular. Uh, a woman with over 2,000 personalities was able to testify against her father for a very very extreme case of serious abuse. Um, and with those seven personalities, she was able to lock him away for the rest of his life. And I think that that set a really important standard. Our brains are extremely complex. Um, as far as an incentive here, I think that as I dig in deeper with this, with Virginia McClary, the Scientology whistleblower, because she has dug into a lot of some things that are unknown about, especially like Martin Orne and Richard Offshe. I think that part of this, and before this was my super uh, paranoid conspiracy theory, but it seems to be bearing a bit more fruit now, in regards to the CIA doctors themselves, uh, G.H. Estabrooks, when he 
reached out to uh, Hoover at the FBI, and they ended up recruiting him into the CIA, and he was heavily involved in the very early sort of hypnotism mind control programs. Uh, there are documents where G.H. Estabrooks is detailing how you know if you are a master at hypnotism, a master of your craft. And he estimated that the skilled hypnotist within this field, the length of time that the patient or prisoner, whoever, would go without knowing and it would start to wear off would be about 20 or 30 years. Uh, so in my personal wow. opinion, with the uh, cult, anti-cult movement, and we have testimony from the Human Radiation Experiments Committee where there are women testifying against Martin Orne and a couple of other doctors for some really heinous abuses that were done to them when they were young. I think that if G.H. Estabrooks was accurate in his estimation as far as some of these uh, whatever experiments wearing off. I also think that they were very concerned that they were going to have problems because some of these people were going to start getting their memories back. Wow. It's really crazy. Esther Brooks is really before his time too. I think that book hypnosis, the first edition was in the thirties or forties. I just read something from his book for my other show, the D hypno program, which is on free world FM, but People really responded to it. They really are interested in it. And that hypno hypnosis or hypnosis pervades Scientology as well. There's an element of that. And the process, like you mentioned it, hypnosis in the process. So it's much more prevalent in these kind of uh, secretive groups than people might realize. And Esther Brooks is really one of the foundational teachers of hypnosis in the, in the 20th century for people that don't know. Absolutely. He was, I mean, he was, when you read those old letters to Hoover, I mean, he is just haranguing him like, come on, I've got it nailed. Let's do it. We can, you know, and you read some of his early experiments where, you know, they're trying to trick a soldier into, you know, picking up a bucket of boiling water and pouring it on himself, but oh, we're going to stop him. But I mean, this is decades of underground research, really, because who knows what he was doing for the FBI, because I'm sure that he was probably working for both of them. You know, these agencies are all very incestuous. But if his estimations are right, and I have uh, no proof otherwise to not believe him, then I think that the intelligence aspect of this in particular is that they were very concerned that some of these people were going to get their memories back. And the Human Radiation Experiments Committee, that's on the uh, NSA archive right now. That's a government website where those women are testifying. That's proof that it wore off. Right, right. That's a weird one, too, because... A lot of that testimony wasn't expected in that environment, if I remember correctly, but it yeah. came out in a different environment, different than the Rockefeller Commission, which was an obvious cover up to me and the church committee, which they didn't know everything. But we know a lot more now just because the evidence is out there. But Esther Brooks mentions in his book, like doing parlor tricks with hypnosis, like he tricked like some party guests to think that. Churchill was coming to uh, coming to have drinks, and they really thought the guy who walked in was Churchill. So yeah. you really can. And he said, he said that people are all on a hypnotic scale. So some people are super suggestible, and some people you just can't hypnotize them. So he knew a lot of stuff back then. But you mentioned those cases, the files between him and Hoover. They're voluminous. It's not like ten pages. 
it's like hundreds of pages of correspondence between Astrobooks and Hoover. So Hoover knew as well. So a lot of these people like, oh, these guys don't know about these kind of mind control stuff. No, 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 no. Hoover had to have known from a very early time, 30s and 40s. I agree. I agree completely. Like I said, I think that it's very likely whether it was Esther Brooks or one of his underlings that they definitely had their hands in both of the pots. And I mean, that's also a really fantastic way to uh, get blackmail on people, especially we we know uh, the stuff that Hoover was involved in and everybody was blackmailing everybody back then. I'm sure that Esther Brooks came in handy for a lot of that. No doubt. They're blackmailing people left and right today. So it's just super crazy out there. But I mean, it's interesting because Loftus is connected to Maxwell, right? So she just testified for the defense uh, again that these are all fake memories too, right? From uh, Virginia Jeffrey or something like that. Is that right? Oh man, Loftus's record is completely insane. So she was the professional witness, as I stated, for Ted Bundy, O.J. Simpson, Ghislaine Maxwell, Harvey Weinstein, Timothy McVeigh, uh, Oliver North, and Iran Contra, which is really insane. Um, the Menendez brothers, and oh, Mick Martin, the McMartin preschool trial. She was the professional witness in wow. McMartin. Wow, I didn't know that. And also That's... for the cops that uh, beat up Rodney King. Wow. So she just took everything, like everything's fake, everything's false. And Bundy, yeah. I just heard, was like in uh, Northern California in what, I think around the time, 78. He was at Stanford for a graduate thing. And do you know who he worked for? He worked for yeah. Nelson Rockefeller's campaign. And if you, I mean, I don't know how the deeper connection there, but Nelson Rockefeller was were there at the beginning with Esther Brooks and, and uh, with Dulles. It's unbelievable. Is, is anyone surprised at this point? No. No, I mean, there it goes back to your McGowan PTK stuff. Like, he's around. Like, I think he was in, Bundy was in Stanford at 68 when West was running his thing in Haight-Ashbury using Stanford graduate students. So yes, Bundy was. was a literal graduate student at Stanford at the same time. Different subject, but it's different subject matter hippies but it's just so weird man some of these connections super eerie but yeah the false memory syndrome foundation they just discredited so many people right i mean and, and uh i mean do you know like of anybody who was dis you know disincentivized from coming forward because of the false memory syndrome i mean these are big wigs like these are intimidating people these are all well you know, doctors with a lot of uh, experience. It seems like they would, They would, do you think that they successfully disincentivize people from coming forward and telling their true stories? Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, uh, I know that the term is overused, but this is an appropriate use of it. The term gaslighting. I mean, this is literally, uh, you know, weaponizing the court system, weaponizing the healthcare system through, you know, uh, psychiatry in some ways. Uh, and that's all they did. It was always testifying for the defense. Um I don't know if you know Chris Graves. He's primarily on Rumble. He's discussed uh, cases that he's looked into uh, because I guess at one point, some of the people that were present at 
the things that transpired on the ground during 9-11, a lot of them were accused of having false memory syndrome. So that's why with like Oliver North in particular and Timothy McVeigh um, and the Menendez brothers uh, and the cops, you know, the cops that beat Rodney King, it, it's not just limited to uh, crimes, uh, obviously, against children or crimes of a sexual nature. Uh, this can be applied to any situation where the powers that be want to make sure that the case goes a particular way. Right, right. So it's part of that kind of infiltration of the entire legal system. This is probably the intent of it. And these guys go along. So Jolly West just shows up everywhere too. Like he probably, he was manipulating the um, Hearst trial too, right? I mean, he was, and oh, obviously yeah. people know Jack Ruby. His uh, underling was with McVeigh, right? That's that's uh, Wendy Painting's book. That's right. Uh, yep. He has his hands in everything. He has his dirty little hands in everything. Right. And do you, and he was supposedly a Scientology critic and persecuted by Scientology. What's your take on him with his kind of anti-cult, so-called anti-cult leaning? Because I've had somebody on, it was Joe Simhart, who knew Jolly West and says that his, um, his anti-cult sensibilities were real. But then I see some of these other uh, mind control doctors like William... Uh, Joseph Bryan, who clearly is is like on one side a Christian, like he's totally almost split his own brain. Like one side he's a Christian talking about Jesus, and then the other side he's with prostitutes injecting drugs. I mean, what do you what's your take on Jolly West and the cults? I see that as uh, basically for public consumption. I think that it's warring both sides against the middle. Uh, I like to point out to people, you know, Jolly West as a quote unquote cult expert who was quote unquote persecuted by Scientology. He never said a word. There's nothing in writing. I have dug everywhere and also begged the public if they knew of anything to please send it to me so that I could be wrong because uh, it does make me feel a lot more noited, so to speak. He's, he never said anything about the Church of Satan, the Process Church of the Final Judgment, or the Temple of Set while he was alive, ever. I don't think he did either. I've never heard anything about that. There was maybe one thing when I was reading through some of his, like, uh, the, the outline of his papers, there might have been one thing about something with the occult, but yeah, no, he never really did. It's really something else, which is really kind of scary. Like, And I, I don't know if he really ever exposed... Like I did a show, what was it? Revolutions and Brad Shriver. Highly recommend that book where DeFreeze was like out of like, he was out of uh, a Tascadero, right? Or somewhere. Like this guy was completely fake and none of the black people, none of the African-Americans trusted him. It was just kind of uh, middle-class white liberals. But uh, Hearst was- He was uh, out of Vacaville. Yeah, because they were running you, MK at Vacaville. Yes, absolutely. You're absolutely right. He was yeah, a product of Jolly West and Margaret Singer's uh, research. And it's interesting because as I was kind of digging through, because, you know, I'm looking at some of the other cults. This is kind of unrelated, except for Margaret Singer is on the board and she was also a quote unquote anti-cult authority. Uh, I find her in the papers, I think it's 1978, maybe 79, uh, where she says, well, there's not a burgeoning of satanic cults. It's just kids trying to figure out what they're into. We're not really that worried about it. And I said, oh, okay. Uh, thank you for letting us know that the government sides with the satanic cults. 
Right. No, it's fascinating. And I think it's worthwhile to just contextualize these people. Like they're just not involved in the false memory syndrome. They're they're littered all over the place. And they're they're have connections to kind of larger behavioral modification, mind control things. Like one of the interesting things I found out, I just did a show on William Sargent, who was like a crazy witch doctor of mind control who believed in you know, psychosurgery, which is a, a polite term for lobotomies and insulin shock therapy and electroshock therapy. But that guess who uh, recommended Sargent to be involved in the Patty Hearst case? Like, this Effie is Bailey? No, uh, well, Effie Bailey at the behest of Jolly, Jolly West. So Jolly West well, is going to call this like discredited, crazy UK doctor to come over and help out in this trial. It's unbelievable. You know what's interesting about Dr. Sargent? He is the creator of the Tavistock model. And Jolly West's Tavistock resume, that's the longest tenure on Jolly's resume is under Tavistock, uh, you know, education or instruction. I haven't been able to find the details of what he was doing, uh, but William Sargent was, I believe, the first doctor to di come up with the diagnosis of uh, war neuroses or shell shock. Um, and he wrote that book, Battle for the Mind. Oh, right. yeah, he's he's Tavistock all day. Wow, I didn't know that. That's even creepy. Because I, I just did two shows very close to each other on Esther Brooks and Sargent, Battle of the Mind and Hyp Hypnosis, both of those books. And just talking about how they manipulate people, how religions can manipulate you to get you to have total thought control. So they work you up almost like uh, it was interesting because it was... Uh, wasn't Edward? It was Edwards, right? Who did all those? Your, you know, sinners in the hands of an angry God. That's how they would mm -hmm. get people to convert: is ramp them up into this kind of like feverish state, and then they would find relief in conversion. And really interesting, like they knew they know these techniques. These guys are very aware, and they're around. That's what's really crazy. Is like West is everywhere. So insane. Like what? When you say he was involved in Tavistock, is that at Cornell or how was he involved? Because I don't. Is there a Tavistock outlet in the U.S.? I'm not aware of that. So when you actually look at his resume from his FOIA release, it gives his tenures, uh, where he received his training. But Tavistock is the only one that while he's, uh, you know, working at all these other universities, he's still doing Tavistock, so to speak. Uh, and like I said, I think it's about 10 years. Now, I know that... And I only know this because I have found where the archive is stored and it's in Oklahoma. I plan on making a trip out there because I want to see what the heck they were doing. Uh, but there was a meeting that was held and apparently he was in attendance. Now, I think that this was in the late 50s or very early 60s. But it's interesting because when you follow his work and how he gets into the medical field, and I can't remember his whole resume off the top of my head, but he states that one of his jobs under the armed forces as a psychologist to soldiers was that he was able to travel freely to bases all over the world. So I'm of the opinion uh, currently that he was probably saying that he was stationed or was stationed somewhere over in the UK. And that's when he was also uh, doing his Tavistock research or, you know, whatever they were having him do at that time. Wow. That's amazing. That's probably how he knew Sergeant at a first name, mm -hmm. name basis then. 
That makes perfect yep. sense. Wow. Because he was a very, one of his early things was studying the Manchurian, you know, returnees, the war veterans or whatever, and why they had this personality change. Because I know he did yep. that. But yeah, he has a pretty, he moves around a lot. Like he's not in the same place. I think he went for, I think he got his doctorate at University of Minnesota or Wisconsin and then did postgraduate work Cornell and Manhattan and then ended up at Oklahoma then got paid to do the hate ashbury stuff and then ended up at UCLA. So, uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's incredible how these guys are around. And you also, one of the interesting things about false memory is this DARVO. We were talking about that in the pre-show. Can you explain DARVO and the mechanics of that and why it's still in use today, right? So I am still uh, learning about DARVO myself. Uh, some of my subscribers have been kind enough to, uh, you know, bring it to the fore because it is relevant. So the psychologist that they reference there in the origin sections, Jennifer Freud, she is the daughter uh, who accused Mr. Freud of abusing her. And so she comes up with this acronym for DARVO. And this actually, this Wikipedia gives a perfect breakdown. The abuser denies that the abuse ever took place. Uh, when confronted with evidence, the abuser then attacks the person or their family. Um, and then the abuser claims that they are actually the victim and reverse the positions of victim and offender. Uh, so it's a nice acronym that gives a, in my opinion, succinct breakdown that takes it away from just the blanket of gaslighting because people need to understand something and this is like one of the hills that i will die on about the false memory stuff this stuff is still being touted today as science there are people who are still strong advocates of this um so like i said they came to be in 1992 uh, and they quietly shut their doors near the end of 2019 and i say quietly because they didn't really announce it it was just in this uh italicized print uh very small on their website for a time where the, you know they said that they were no longer functioning i think in my personal opinion because it is still being touted as science especially by the satanic temple in particular mr lucy and greed uh, I think that these people basically just went freelance and it's interesting. I don't know if you know this, a couple people have told me, uh, but Arliss Perry's husband, uh, Bruce Perry, uh, he is also an advocate of this and you can actually find some very interesting speeches of him uh, trying to discredit the notion of disassociative identity disorder uh, and questioning, you know, the neuroscience and, you know, well, is it, it's probably false memories. Did this really happen? I think it's very fascinating that someone like him, after what happened to her, uh, that he would also be getting his hands in the pot here. Wow, that's crazy. No, I, I know that he was in some form of psychology, but I didn't know he was involved in Darvo. And they this thing they No, not Darvo. Thing. No, false memory. False memory. Okay, sorry. Yeah. This is yeah, Darvo's still crazy though, because it's you're still seeing it in context of Rar Kelly, Brett Kavanaugh, Weinstein, I think, did it. Like you attack the uh if you reverse victim and offender. It's crazy. So it's still out there. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think it speaks, though, to the truth of Jennifer's claims. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, not everything is bad and not everything is good. So, you know, Jennifer's model there, I think that people should 
absolutely consider it. Uh, but again, also it's, you know, trust the science. Well, the science of the false memory syndrome foundation, it's deep. It's been debunked. It was debunked long ago. Uh, they are just, they were, and in my opinion, still are a very powerful institution, but I mean, it has absolutely been weaponized against victims. And like I said, it's not just uh, what some people call, you know, the satanic panic. It, it brings it into modern day time, like you said, with Harvey Weinstein, Gisling, Maxwell, uh, you know, where they're going into these courts and telling these victims that it's all false memories and none of this happened to you. Right. It's like the ultimate form of abuse. So they have to endure the first abuse and then go to court and have somebody say, you're making all this stuff up when clearly there's like hundreds of corroborating cases about Weinstein, uh, uh, Epstein and then tens of cases of Weinstein, at least of the ones that were courageous enough to come forward. I mean, that guy was a total monster. Um, what else have you been working on? I know you're busy and you've been doing a lot of research. Where can people see your most recent uh, investigations? I am on YouTube. Uh, so basically right now, what I'm working on, obviously, the Son of Sam is kind of always lurking in the background because the process is uh, a never-ending investigation. But what I'm trying to show people, and it's going to be really uh, fun for me anyway, is where the False Memory Syndrome Foundation is going to come into play in all of this, because it does. Uh, but showing people that these seemingly unrelated cults, they're actually all moving in lockstep right after the church committee in particular, but even prior to that. Uh, but the church committee, in my personal opinion, uh, you know, that's kind of them telling the public, Richard Helms telling the public, you know, we're going to we're going to stop. In my opinion, I think that it all went underground. And by underground, I mean into cults. I think that this was them practicing uh, behavior modification and group control in the sort of cult milieu, because I think it's interesting, just like the process, we have the children of God. Uh, a lot of people know what that cult is. Seems like this uh, very disgusting, but weird cult, but man, they have a whole ton of money, right? And they never really get in trouble, just like the process. Uh, right. But when you read these cults, upper uh, instructions for the upper echelon of the cult or the leaders, it's all the exact same. The only thing that's different is the language. And I have a process magazine from 1974 where the process is saying that the children of God are being... Uh, persecuted for practicing their religious beliefs, the religious beliefs documented by the New York Attorney General, where they talk about the bad things that we all know now that the children of God were involved in, including human trafficking, child abuse, uh, things of that nature. The process is saying that it's religious persecution. Uh, so I think... I'm trying to lay all of this out to show that they're all the same because after the church committee and right after Jonestown, uh, Scientology, the Children of God, the Moonies, uh, I think it's the Sufis, and I think the Harry Krishnas maybe, and 
and I think there's a couple Mormons in there. They all get together and form these front groups. Uh, in my opinion, it's because they knew that they were going to be investigated by the government for what happened at Jonestown. And so everybody basically comes to an agreement, says, we're being persecuted for practicing our religious beliefs. Uh, we need that tax-exempt status so that you guys can no longer investigate us. In my personal opinion, I think it was quid pro quo because uh, the government is obviously allowing these cults to do these things. People should not be under the disillusion that they were not fully aware of the things that were happening. Um, but then these are where they get their tax exemption status. Uh, Jonestown was a really big catalyst for that, and it's quite unfortunate. But I do think that the Children of God was a major missing angle uh, in the Son of Sam case in particular. So, I mean, I'm going to be on this journey for a long time. Was it Stephen Berg or what was his name? Berg was the head. David Berg. David Berg. Thanks. Yeah. I had one of the strangest events in my life happen when I was in school in Northern California is there was, I had a friend who was kind of like a, you know, modern hippie kind of granola type worked at health food stores and that stuff. And he knew of people who were in the children of God in Northern California. And I just, I was with this girl and I'm not going to say she had a name kind of like River Phoenix or something like that. But mm -hmm. I didn't. I did, Now I'm so old and I'm, I've learned a lot more about psychology. She shifted in between personalities in front of my face in a way. I was just like, whoa, whoa, this is crazy. And so I think that, wow. that made me think now in retrospect that that's an element of the children of God. And the sexual abuse of children is endemic. It's not. It's like they're all into it. Like, it's not like it's, it's part of the religion. It's part of Berg's religion. Once you get inside the children of God, it's full on hyper gnarly abuse. But I saw it in front of my face and that it's still, I still remember it. It's really crazy. Like those are just like college days, but it was weird to run into the children of God there. And that was, I mean, where I went to school at Berkeley, there were cults everywhere. The Moonies were everywhere. There were Mormons. There was, I mean, the satanic cults and the, the the children of God were around. It was really something else. But yeah, I'd say it's, I wouldn't be surprised if they all had, uh, just like you said, uh, intel ties. And I, I remember that was one of the big things that Scientology was on their quest for was their tax exempt status. That was like a huge thing. I don't know when they got it, but it was always something like they, they transferred from Scientology to the Church of Scientology. Do you remember when they got their tax exempt status? I don't know. Hubbard got it pretty quickly. I know the first time they got it, I think was in the mid to late 50s. And then there was a bit of a disagreement with the IRS. They lost it and then they got it back. And then it was revoked again. Uh, that is a very complicated story. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I, I say, greasing of palms and kissing babies. You know, there's backdoor deals going on, uh, especially uh, at that time, because that is heavily involved in Iran-Contra as far as that, that last, what we have now, their IRS tax-exempt status. Um, cause for people that don't know, uh, you know, Scientology was absolutely involved in Iran Contra. I'm working on laying out the argument that Iran Contra is actually 
starting with the Brotherhood of Eternal Love in California. And I think that it flows over into uh, what we see in New York later on with Studio 54, with all of the cocaine trafficking and Roy Cohn doing that investigation. Uh, I think that the Brotherhood was a very early stage of that. And I think that Iran-Contra also involved human trafficking. I think that that's what they were primarily trying to hide from the public. And my uh, conspiracy theory is that the satanic panic was to distract the public from what had been going on the entire time. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't know Scientology was uh, had some kind of connection to Iron Contra. So I'll be looking forward to that research. And the best place to check out your stuff is your YouTube channel at Rotting Jewels, right? Yes, Rotting Jewels. And I am Dana Duda on Twitter. And in my YouTube profile, I have the link tree and it has all of my stuff there. So feel free to reach out. So the link tree is the best place for people to find ways if they want to follow up or ask any questions, correct? Yes. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Again, it's Dana of Rotting Jewels, and we talked about the False Memory Syndrome Foundation, among other things. Thank, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. All right. Stay there.